From FingerLakes1.com, this is Inside the FLX. Today is part two of our three-part series with the candidates for Seneca County District Attorney. In part one, you heard from Christopher Folk, the candidate who will appear on the Working Families Party line on Election Day. This hour, we sit down with John Navinger. He's a public defender in Seneca County and will appear on the Republican Party line. In part three, you will hear from Acting District Attorney Mark Sinkowitz, the Democrat whose name will appear atop the ballot on Election Day. All three of those conversations are live now, so check them out on fingerlakes1.com. All of the candidates uh, discuss their campaigns, experience, and goals, as we noted off the top of part one. Each of the candidates believe they are uniquely positioned to lead the office. Even before we get into my conversation with John Navinger for this part, a couple quick favors to ask. First, subscribe to the show if you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or the TuneIn Radio app. You'll be notified when new episodes are uploaded and never miss a locally important conversation from this studio again. Second, if you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars and leave us a review. It helps new listeners find the podcast and is a great way to let us know what parts of the program you enjoy most. Third and last, if you're a daily reader, listener, or follower of FingerLakes1.com, consider supporting us at Patreon.com. It's www.patreon.com slash FL1 to learn more. We don't have any paywalls on this site, but continuing to do all of the things we do each and every day here will only be possible with your support. Now a quick break in my full conversation with John Navinger. Today's episode is brought to you by Herman Brothers Furniture Store. Tired of the big box approach to furniture shopping? Stomp in to Herman Brothers Store located in downtown Lyons and see how they've been doing it since 1945. Herman Brothers carries one of the largest selections of furniture, appliances, and mattresses between Rochester and Syracuse. And even better, Herman Brothers services all of the furniture and appliances they sell. It's the honesty, integrity, and reliability that they've been delivering for 74 years. Stop in, shop online, or give Herman Brothers a call to learn more about their low prices, free layaway, interest-free financing, and no credit needed financing. They even offer same-day or next-day delivery in most cases. Visit HermanBrothersLions.com or call 315-946-4831 today. All right, welcome back to Inside the FLX. John Nabiger is with us in studio today. Uh, John, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me back. Uh, obviously, very busy time for you. Uh, let's start with the most basic question first. Uh, why are you running for district attorney? What was the motivation to run this time? Well, as, as I've said before, I mean, I've been in the criminal law now for 21 years, going on almost 22 years. Um, it is what I do. It, it's who I am. And uh, I, coming out of law school, it, being a prosecutor was all I ever wanted to do. Uh, I submitted my resume to every county in the state, and that's the only thing that I pursued. I didn't pursue anything else. I was fortunate enough to uh, get a position here in Seneca County as assistant DA back in 1998. Uh, started my career here was able to be a prosecutor here and in Onondaga County up in Syracuse for a total of six years uh, before I was able to come back to Seneca doing the uh, criminal defense work with the public defender's office here. So, and I've been doing that ever since. Mm -hmm. So I have always done it. That's my passion is the criminal law. And I've had people ask me before about possibly running for district attorney based upon my background. 
And I've always felt it wasn't quite the right time or, uh, you know, the politics aspect of it wasn't necessarily what I was really interested in. Um, but I looked around when I was asked about it this time and I looked around and I saw who else I thought would be running potentially. And I considered all that I have been given, the opportunities that I've been given and the experiences that I've seen. And I've said to myself, you know what, it's time for me to step up. Uh, I, I need to run this time. I believe that I can do a better job than what has been done. I think this county deserves better than what has been done. And I think that I can do that. And I said, okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to put it out there and we're going to take a shot. And of course, I want to ask what the transition would be like for you, obviously segueing from your current work into, you know, the first 90 days, first 120 days. Um, but we can't really have that conversation without also um, talking about the changes that are coming on January 1st. Sure. Um, so first, let's get into that. Um, when you look at some of the bail reform changes and the, and the procedural changes that are mm -hmm. that are going to be taking shape um, come January 1st. Uh, what are some of your concerns and also to that end, how do you feel like you would navigate those concerns if elected uh, on election day? Well, I mean, well, the, the scope of the changes uh, to start with, it is uh, you, from, from the bail, as you say, the bail aspect, the fact that there is going to be uh, so many different um, people that are going to be eligible for release and and it's not just the new cases it's actually case people who are currently incarcerated potentially on january 1st are going to be eligible to be released quite a bit so so that's actually all of this work has to start before then and, and we've been doing that we've been having meetings we've been having programs as far as trying to figure out the the process that's going to happen or the process that needs to be in place to deal with that. The probation department dealing with their notification, uh, acting as the pretrial agency to do notifications to uh, defendants because that is something that is now going to be required. Um, so those, those uh, processes are being discussed and put in place now. So that it's not just, okay, oh wait, it's January 1st, we have to deal with this. Um, it is going to be very difficult and demanding as far as case uh, cases having to deal with them in court because I expect that we're going to see a uh, significant increase of people not showing up. I, I just think that's going to happen, and that's unfortunate uh, because you know in my discussions with various law enforcement agencies, uh, various people, um, I've been told, and from my own experience, I, I know this to be true. The one of the most dangerous times for a law enforcement officer is executing a warrant or dealing with a person you know that they don't know has a warrant but that person does and that is a very difficult time a very dangerous time for our men and women who are on the street dealing with these people the increase in the people who are going to be out there with that I think is just wrong. I, I think we shouldn't have that there. I, it's not that we couldn't deal with bail better because we certainly could. I think this probably has gone a bit too far. And I think that ultimately we're going to see that. Um, 
the as far as handling the cases after that initial arraignment issue and the bail situation and so forth it's going to be very difficult uh, there's new demands on the prosecution to provide discovery within a, a very short window to make sure that uh, that you are not only providing discovery but you are seeking it out from all kinds of different places that it may may rest you know this may be a, a a case that you don't have direct access to some of that paperwork or to that agency or whatever you were dealing with you may not have direct access to that and you have to rely on them providing it to you to then turn it over within this very short period of time and you could potentially have consequences if that doesn't happen now there are some things in the in the law that are written to um, extend time periods for good cause and things like that and that is certainly going to be helpful but one of the things that I'm aware of that I know is going to be helpful to us, um, and again, talking to the various agencies, is the, the countywide data or system where the district attorney's office can actually um, get online, log in to various agencies' um, websites, or not websites, but into their uh, computer uh, bases online, and actually have access to their computer files for the cases and see all of the reports see all the body cam video all of that and you can do that right from the DA's office mm -hmm. and you don't have to wait for that to come to you you can get it almost right away mm -hmm. and from what I understand that hasn't been utilized that much and I think that's a terrible waste of resources and opportunity so that's going to help no doubt that's going to help uh, but it is going to be a challenge, no, no doubt. It's going to be a big challenge. When you uh, look at not only the, and, and you, you alluded to it a little bit there, um, the physical task that has to be fulfilled through the new processes, um, but then also the, the administrative side, um, do you have concerns about um, public safety in terms of, of the district attorney's office being able to handle the number of cases that are inevitably going to require much more work than they have historically under the new system. Uh, one, of the, one of the common uh, concerns that we've heard residents voice throughout the last several months as they've learned about this is they, they think that more, more people are just going to walk free without prosecution because of the new system in play. So do you have that concern or do you um, think that might be a little overstated at this point? I don't. I am not concerned in the sense that um, we're going to lose cases because of this. In a district attorney's office uh, where I would be the head of, if I am fortunate enough on November 5th to get that, um, we will not allow things to slip through the cracks. It simply will not happen. The bill reforms, the discovery reforms, they are going to be a huge challenge. But we know what we have to do. And those preparations are in place, are, are already taking place to deal with that. Yes, there are going to be people, unfortunately, there are going to be some people who are going to be released, repeat offenders and things that would normally necessarily, that would normally in today's atmosphere be subject to certain cash bail there, there's going to be more of those people on the street. There's no doubt. Ultimately, that 
in itself is a safety concern to the community. And that is one of the things that I obviously have a great concern about. Um, but that doesn't mean that their cases are going to go away, and they're not. And in fact, it is going to be incumbent upon the prosecution to make sure, because there are some avenues, even if a person initially is released on bail, if they reoffend, if they violate their terms of release, unfortunately, the, the law makes it pretty onerous at times to even someone who violates their terms of release to then revoke that release. But it's going to be incumbent upon the prosecution to stay on top of each and every one of those situations to make sure that if there are violations of their releases, that it is being addressed and that if a person can and should be, uh, their release be revoked, we have to do it. So no, I, as far as as far as the cases not being addressed, that is not a personal concern of mine because I know that we will be there and we will be taking care of those cases. Um, to that end, one of the, another one of the uh, sort of ancillary uh, concerns that some folks have, have voiced is that there is potential for uh, cases to be prosecuted, uh, I guess, a little more vigorously uh, under the new system because there is less uh, there, there's less reason for prosecutors to uh, either strike deals or, or go with a less, uh, uh, a less aggressive path than just taking cases to trial. So what is your feeling there in terms of, of what this would actually mean for the prosecutorial numbers in a, in a county like Seneca, which probably is a little slower in terms of cases that go to trial compared to an Ontario or a Monroe or an Onondaga? Well, I don't think these new rules affect one of the, in my opinion, the, the actual core um, discretion that is invested in a prosecution's office and in the district attorney. Uh, these are simply rules, procedural rules that we're going to have to deal with. But when making decisions about a case, how to prosecute that case, how to deal with that individual, I don't see that these, uh, these changes are going to directly affect that kind of a decision. We're still going to have to look at, at the person, look at the other people, the victims involved in the crime, the circumstances of the crime, the, person's, uh, the defendant's history. Um, and make the decisions about you know what level do we want to uh, prosecute this person at? Uh, how vigorously, as you say, do we want to go after that person? Do we want to give them some kind of an opportunity, um, you know, to maybe have a different path? And I, I think we talked about this the last time I was here. You know that there are really there are two kinds of people I think that generally that we deal with in the criminal justice system. Um, you know, there's the people that I, the criminals, and those, in my opinion, when I say that, that is the person who, um, that is who they are. I mean, those are the life choices that they've made. That is pretty much always who they're going to be, whether they're, you know, out on the street or whether they're locked up. Um, when they are on the street, you know, we're going to be dealing with them as committing crimes. Those people, we have to always be very vigorous with, you know, those are the people that have had their opportunities, they've made their choices, we have to deal with them accordingly. 
And the other type of people, generally speaking, that we deal with are people who commit crimes. Now, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily bad people. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily, that's what they have at heart of who they are. And those people are the kinds of people that we need to be able to encourage different behavior. They have to be held responsible for what they've done, but we have to encourage different behavior. We have to give them the opportunities and tools potentially to change their behavior and the path that they're on. Um, because you know these are people that are going to be in our, our community. And even with the criminals, uh, unfortunately, I mean, ultimately, except in very rare circumstances, all of these people, they're going to be coming back to our community if they do go to jail or prison. They're coming back to the street eventually. And if we don't change a behavior, if we don't give an opportunity to be on a different path, then we're just going to be dealing with it again. And, and that's, that's not being soft on people. That's, that's a public safety concern. That's, a, that's an economic concern. You know, we want these people to, when they come back, to be productive members of society, not dangerous people to society. So we want to give people an opportunity to do something different when that is appropriate. So it's the discretion of the DA, which is huge, and it's really at the core of the, of the prosecutorial decision of, of how to deal with people. I don't really see these new um, rules as changing that. It changes the procedure that we have to deal with when we are making those decisions and ultimately how we implement those decisions. One of the issues that has been uh, divisive, I guess, would be the, the right word among how to handle it uh, is the opioid epidemic. Mm. Um, some some folks believe that, that DAs, prosecutors, should be going as hard as they possibly can against offenders to prevent the spread of and, and the behavior. Um, but then there's another portion of the, of the population that feels like that is just not the, the sole way to approach this thing, and it needs to be a little more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. um, weigh in in terms of what you think the DA's office role should be uh, in, in navigating this, this issue moving forward and trying to work with all of the different agencies and all the different people who are involved. Well, as, as I've said before, I mean, the opioid uh, crisis and the, the drug crisis in general, but that certainly is the, the point, uh, the spear point of it at this point, um, is probably one of the most destructive things I, I've encountered in my years of, of criminal law. Um, but it, it, dealing with that, I think, goes back to what we were just talking about. Yeah. You know, there are the guy that's, that's or girl that is out there selling simply with a, a profit motive. The guy that wants to put a, a new 80-inch flat screen on his wall, uh, that guy needs to be dealt with harshly. That is a person that is simply feeding off of, of the, our community, the misery of some of the members of, some of the most vulnerable members of our community. That person should see no quarter. The, on the other hand, there's the people who are addicted that have gotten caught, in, caught up in this. Um, that may be selling to support their habit. Well, that's wrong, and they have to be held responsible for that. But you have to look at why that is happening. Why is this a person that would normally be doing this sort of thing if they had not gotten caught up into that? And for those people, those are the people we have to try to encourage different behaviors, give them tools, drug court. Drug court is a fantastic you know, uh, program. Um, you know, there's 
opioid courts that are starting to open throughout the, the state. I think those are, you know, that are specifically targeted towards that with a lot of the medically assisted treatment that, that is now coming forward. I mean, that's been in place for a while, but it, they're making advances with that all the time. Um, you know, I, I it, early on in my career, I was never necessarily a big fan of the drug court program. Uh, but as I progressed and as I learned about it and saw some of the successes that it, it has had, uh, I've, be, I've come to realize that it is a huge tool. I mean, there are people that my doubts initially were that court-mandated treatment I didn't think would necessarily be effective. You know, in my opinion, from what I had known previously, uh, my, my mother was a, a RN, substance abuse nurse. She worked in a couple of different rehabs up in Syracuse for her career. I know an awful lot about it simply from, from listening to her. Um, until a person internalizes that they want to have a different life and that they want to do something different for themselves, I always felt a judge saying you must do this, 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 and this was more likely the person was doing it for the wrong reasons. They were doing it simply to satisfy the judge, to get out of jail, or something like that. So I always kind of doubted the program a little bit. But as I saw it move forward and as I talked to various people about it, um, the opportunity of a person to be exposed to those tools. Maybe going in, they don't necessarily have the best motivation. But a lot of people, those people that are in the program can look around and say, hey, wait a minute, I know Joe Smith over here. I know the kind of thing that he's been through, and I see he's doing well. Maybe I can do well for myself. And, and being exposed to that, they then start to buy in. So I think it's a fantastic program. It's that, that kind of thing that we need to continue to encourage. Mm -hmm. When you look forward into 2020, um, what are the things that, that voters, the people that you're talking to every day, um, are most concerned about? Obviously, we've touched on a couple sort of hot-button issues, bail sure. reform and the changes that are coming next year, and then also, of course, the opioid epidemic. But what are some of the, what are some of the broad things that, that the folks who potentially could be voting for you are bringing to you saying, this concerns me for X, Y, and Z reasons, and this is why I would like to see you uh, help fix this thing or help be part of the solution? Well, um, a couple of things, and, and I, can, I, can, I think I can express that to you in what I think would be the priorities, for, not what I would think would be the priorities for my office, but what will be the priorities for my office. Uh, first and foremost, violence against another person. There is never going to be any room in an office led by myself for a, a person who commits a violent crime against another person. And I include sex crimes in that. They may not be classified as a violent crime, but that is an act of violence against another person. Those people need to be dealt with harshly. And there will be, again, there's going to be no room for, for coddling as far as I'm concerned. Um, drug dealers for profit. Again, that is, I'm not sure that I could speak overly harsh about my opinion about that. Uh, and that is, will be priority. And people who use weapons in crime. 
not necessarily if they use it against a person, but simply having that, introducing that weapon into a crime. And I don't just mean guns, any kind of weapon. You, by introducing that weapon into that situation, you automatically escalate that situation to something completely different. Everyone who is there, their safety then becomes, you know, in jeopardy. I, I, that's unexcusable as far as I'm concerned. And those are the kinds of things that I hear from people talking about that they're concerned, that they may not have been dealt with strongly enough previously. Um, they will be in my office. Those are will absolutely, everything obviously is going to des deserve the attention of our office. But those will certainly be at the top of our list to make sure that no stone will be unturned, uh, unturned in dealing with those cases. There has been, uh, right or wrong, there has been a perception in certain parts of the community that um, a lot of deals have been cut from the DA's office over the last several years. Um, as I said, whether that's perception or reality, doesn't matter what's the DA, what's the next DA's role in either rolling back that perception or addressing that problem if it is one. Well, I mean, the, the, the mechanism of plea bargaining, it's a it's necessary it is impossible to to do what we do without it and and let me simply give you a couple of quick numbers on that seneca county court generally has about 120 criminal indictments or superior court informations which is an agreed upon uh, alternative to an indictment a grand jury indictment each year there's 12 months in the year there's typically one week per month set aside for trials in Seneca County Court. So you're talking about 12 weeks out of the year for potential trials. You've got 120 criminal cases. And those 12 weeks of, of trial weeks are also for civil cases, mm -hmm. okay? So it is simply, it will be impossible unless we have an unlimited budget for unlimited courts and unlimited prosecutors, it would simply be impossible to try every single case. The key is deciding what cases need to be dealt, a deal on, and what cases need to be absolutely pushed. You've heard what I believe, well, what will be the priorities in my office. Those are the kind of cases that we will work incredibly hard to make sure we have the proof that we need to prosecute those and those we will we will pursue vigorously everything else we also have to address but we have to do that with a realistic sense of not only you know the resources that are available but again it goes back to what we've talked about before not everybody needs to be absolutely hammered i mean the goal of the district attorney, the job of the district attorney is to do justice. That is your absolute paramount responsibility. Sometimes doing justice means tacking someone's hide to a barn wall. Sometimes it means letting them walk out the front door with no repercussions at all. The vast majority of the time, it's somewhere in between. And it's the duty of the district attorney to use the discretion that's been invested in that office to make that determination 
it's my 20 plus years of experience doing this stuff from both sides of the law, from both sides of the aisle, prosecution and defense, that I think allows me to have that insight to make those decisions um, when they're appropriate and to pursue the cases accordingly. And really what, what we're talking about right now are sort of the outliers of what the DA's office and what the, the prosecutor's office deals with throughout the year. Um, and, and my next question is related to what you guys deal with plenty more, which are super low-level offenses, traffic violations, things sure. like that. Um, what are some of the ways that you think um, the DA's office and the county as a whole could could help those sort of minor minor issues be navigated more quickly, more efficiently, so that you guys can focus more on sort of the serious crime as opposed to having to deal with, uh, spend a lot of uh, human capital on, uh, you know, speeding infractions, running a red light, uh, very low level stuff that, that maybe doesn't warrant so much attention and energy. Well, um, I mean, I, I know there are some processes that are already in place. Uh, the uh, ability for a person to write to the district attorney's office say they have a speeding ticket and rather than um, you know taking time at court and taking time of the assistant DA at the at the town court or the village court um, and talking to them about that speeding ticket they have an opportunity to write to the DA present what they believe might be a justification for a reduction or for some type of other resolution of the matter those kinds of things I know are already in place, and those are good things. You're absolutely correct. Uh, the some of the other stuff that you're talking about, that well, part of that's going to be once. Um, it's hard to assess some of that until I'm actually there, and see what all of the internal processes that are in place, and to be able to to judge that. Um, I know that you know from my experience in Onondaga County, one of the things that they used to do, we used to do up there. Now, a much, much larger county, much uh, larger volume of cases, they used to have what was called a walk-in desk. And at any time through certain hours, and actually up there, it was staffed all day, every day. You know, that I don't think would be a realistic thing here. Um, a defense attorney could come in, say, I want to talk to the walk-in attorney prosecutor about this particular case and that was all for the outlying courts the town and village courts so they could come in they could fill out a sheet the the uh, people that were running it they would go and they would get the file they would bring it to the assistant district attorney who was manning that desk that day and that district that assistant or that defense attorney would have an opportunity to talk to that assistant DA about that particular case and that could expedite things the process out in the town and village courts. Again, take, taking less time out there, demanding less time. Now again, like I said, that office has almost 50 assistant DAs in yeah. it. So it would be a much more difficult thing to do here. But it's that kind of thing, having access um, and setting priorities for you know what cases, uh, you know what level we're going to pursue them. Um, you know, prioritizing your time and resources and again like I said until I'm actually there and seeing how a lot of that is done and how the individual assistants do their their cases um, it's kind of hard to, to 
it's kind of hard to comment necessarily on exactly what we would change or what we would try to do different but I think it would it does boil down to access mm -hmm. and doing that outside of the short time windows that we have when we're actually in court trying to deal with cases because you know, unfortunately I mean we have seen a, an increase in cases you know in Seneca County over the last few years um, you know so especially a couple of our northern courts you know, Tyre and Junius have seen a, a significant increase of cases over the last few years um, so it is a it is a question of of you know assessing the str and streamlining those processes and uh, last question of course uh, where can folks learn more about your campaign leading up to election day well i am uh, john nabinger for uh, da.com and for uh, john nabinger senate county da on facebook all right appreciate the time john thanks for coming in thanks for having me